Welcome to Redemption's Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption's Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. So it's good to see you guys here. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving, that you guys had some good uh, uh, food and and time spent with family. Uh, I hope your favorite sports ball teams did well. I think it's soccer season or something like that. Um, uh, So first things first, I am not lost. Um, For those of you at home, there's no need to adjust the streaming quality of your YouTube channel. I am supposed to be here today. Um, So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Harrison Smith. Uh, my wife, Alex, and I down here, we've been coming to Redemption Hill for the past five years or so. Um, uh, let's see. And I've, you'll usually see me playing bass here on Sundays or running projection or help set up tear down. Um, and so you'll, you'll see me if you come back. I'll be around. Uh, but I think what's more interesting and amazing is, is that through the grace of God and, and through the, the faithful ministry of TJ in this church, I, I got to find Christ here in 2018 and was baptized. And so for the past two years or so, I've been meeting with, uh, with TJ, and talks of preaching and sermons have always been lightly uh, thrown around, and then it started getting a little bit more serious, and I guess he finally uh, tricked or talked me into being here today. So, and here I am. Uh, but in all seriousness, um, over the next several weeks, we're going to be hearing from four different guys, four different men. Uh, we're going to be starting our new series of Advent so, uh, and just like Garrett was saying last week, it's been such an amazing blessing to hear from different people in this time that we give TJ and Allie uh, kind of a rest as they are welcoming the new, their new kid into the world. So I hope that it's enc- as encouraging to you as it is to me to, to see the work of the Holy Spirit throughout the church and to see how, he's, um, how, the, how the Lord is uh, inspiring and, and revealing his truth to, to us. So it's our, our hope and prayer that through these four different perspectives, through these four different weeks and topics of Advent, that you'll be filled with remembrance and anticipation of the coming of our uh, Savior. So I think we can all agree that the past two years have been the most challenging and divisive that our generation has ever seen. Between COVID lockdowns and election cycles, political and social unrest, Uh, and also just our own personal lives just hitting us in the face, we can with 100% certainty say, I'd rather not do that again. But I had an interesting thought the other day, and maybe you can relate a little bit. Um, Can you already feel some of those memories getting a little foggy in your mind? I know we all say, man, that was tough, but but doesn't it almost feel distant to you? For me, as I watch the news cycles come faster and faster, and and as more and more life comes our way, I think I've been doing what most humans do, and that's uh, learning to cope. We kind of put our blinders on, our heads up, and we just trudge forward, and we're we're quick to forget or lessen the tragedy of the not-so-fun times of our past. And our human minds are great at becoming distracted and amused amidst tragedy and chaos. It's a coping mechanism that, we're all, that we all do. And we so easily revert back to our own personal self-soothing habits and jump into autopilot and just cruise. It's easy to miss the important stuff when most of our energy is spent just trying to keep our heads above water. 
Now, if you've grown up in the church or even if you've only been a part of the church for the past couple of years, uh, you can remember that as we enter the, um, the Christmas season, you'll hear a lot about this talk of Advent. Now, Advent simply means the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. And I think, it would be at, I think one would have to be living under a rock here in America to miss the arrival of Christmas. The second Halloween is done, we get bombarded through YouTube, through Facebook, the Instagrams, about how fast Christmas is coming and how little we've done to prepare for it. And even if you have been living under a rock, I think the Christmas season has been ingrained into our culture and our family traditions uh, that it's, it's hard to forget and miss. And excitingly, the world is opening up again, at least for now, thanks Omicron variant. We've had to spend the last few years alone or with small groups of family and friends to be safe. But for the time being, gathering safer with loved ones is becoming a reality. And there's nothing wrong with gathering. Music, gifts, foods, family, it's all good. But just as I spoke a few moments ago, it's easy for our hearts to become lulled to sleep by the bombardment of our broken world, consumeristic agendas, and family traditions. So the reason we focus on Advent every year is because we are all so easily distracted. Distracted by tragedy, coping, traditions. Our hearts stray and we start to feel restless and unsettled. And this is why Advent came about. It's a season to remind ourselves of what is true despite our scattered senses. Advent is a time to remember that our Savior has come. It's a time that we declare what is true and to fix our gaze back to our Savior, Jesus Christ. During these four weeks, we'll be setting special time apart from our busy schedules to remember his peace, his hope, his love, and his joy. We celebrate the Advent season every year on a global scale because we are quick to forget the reason for the season. Our hearts need liturgy. Our hearts need a dedicated and guided time to remember what the world and the enemy has fought so hard to distract us from. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for gathering us here today. I thank you for um, putting uh, your word on my heart and I pray that, that your word uh, loud, uh, rings loudest today. Um, be with us now. Uh, keep us from distraction. Um, amen. Now, when someone mentions the word peace, what are your initial thoughts? Is it sitting at home with your comfy, stretchy pants, Netflix on, and the kids in bed? Or maybe you're gathered around a fire pit in the mountains under the stars telling good stories and hanging out with friends and family. Or maybe your idea of peace is more of a beach scene. But regardless of what your picture of peace looks like, I think the common denominator of our peace is our own personal comfort plus the lack of conflict. Now, I'll admit that history also remembers those that just wanted to watch the world burn. Their peace and comfort was only obtained through violence and oppression of others. But I think if we took a poll, most of us would agree that the scenarios of peace that we just talked about uh, are desirable and in fact good. There's nothing wrong with comfort and lack of conflict. Both Christians and non-Christians alike would agree to what I described. But I see a problem arising. You see that we all desire our peace, but how we obtain that peace differs from one another. And this ultimately leads to conflict between us. In other words, your peace and your comfort don't align with my peace and my comfort. 
I think this simple sentence has resulted in 5,000 plus years of documented human history and conflict between each other. Your peace and your comfort don't align with my peace and my comfort. So John Calvin was correct when he said that man's heart is nothing more than an idle factory. We take what is innately good and focus all our time and energy into making them our single purpose and security blanket in life. We so desperately seek to fulfill the desires of our heart so that these desires may bring about our peace and security. And watch out if someone threatens to take that security away from us. We worked hard for that and we earned what is rightfully ours. I earned that promotion and raise. I earned that vacation and that glass of bourbon tonight. It doesn't take much for the true colors of our heart to show. Quickly we see that our defense of our peace leads to conflict in our hearts which spills out to the rest of the world. Our quest for peace leads to conflict. And we see this scenario play out over the entire history of civilization. Man began to grow in numbers, and quickly we saw conflicts arise between those different groups and even within those groups. We quarrel with one another, which leads to war. Someone wins. Peace is brief, but ultimately the cycle starts right over again. We are unsettled, and incomplete. And nothing today has changed. Our modern and enlightened civilization still struggles with the same exact problems of unsettledness. Our society today is no closer to being at peace with one another or even within ourselves. No matter the country's rhetoric, no matter how we grasp for certainty or what side of the political aisle you're on, no matter what modern philosophy you hang your truths on, we are still a society that is uncomfortable with our unsettledness. Look how far we haven't come. So we can see now that humanity's definition and the goal of world peace is just absence of conflict with our neighbors. But even in times of, of the supposed absence of conflict, don't we still struggle with pain and oppression, fear and uncertainty? We just pulled our troops out of Afghanistan, and for the first time in 20 years, America isn't at war with anyone, and we all feel so much better, right? I think it's interesting that non-Christians have the same desire for peace. The world in general believes that we should act more peaceful, so what gives? Why is the world still a mess? Why, even though the vast majority of us desire peace in the absence of all-out war, why are we so, still so miserable with ourselves and each other? So let's turn to John 14. Um, I'm going to be looking specifically at verse 27, but I wanted to start with a bit of background of what was going on that kind of prompted Jesus to speak these words. We can see in the uh, chapter uh, before this verse, in the few chapters before it, Jesus and the disciples are gathered in the upper room um, during the Last Supper just hours before his betrayal, arrest, and ultimate death. And in the face of this impending death, we see Jesus speak words of encouragement and comfort to his beloved disciples. We hear him speak his supremacy and equality with God the Father. We hear him promise the better helper to replace him in his absence. The disciples are still like, wait, you're leaving? And we then hear him promise his final parting gift, he says in John 14, 27, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you, do I give to you. 
Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so right away in the first sentence of this verse, we see Jesus leaving a parting gift with us. This gift seems to be a different source of peace than what mankind has been warring over for millennia. He says, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I find it interesting that Jesus didn't leave us with guns and ammo to defend our rights. He didn't leave us with a special key to escape the world. He didn't leave us with his password to his Bitcoin account so we can be filthy rich. He left us with what we think. He didn't leave us with what we think we need in order to have peace in the world. He left us with his peace. And through his peace, he promises that our hearts will be comforted. So the question that naturally follows, what is the difference between the peace that Jesus gives versus what we as humanity have been fighting over for millennia? You see, where we have been seeking comfort and lack of conflict, Jesus is seeking restoration. Restoration of our broken souls, not just absence of conflict, but the restoration of the communion between us, God's very good creation, and God the Father, God the Creator, the Sustainer, and the Supreme Ruler. Jesus came to enter into a cosmic battle, not an earthly battle, to finalize the Father's victory over sin and death. Our Savior entered into a different type of conflict only he could win and laid down his life in order to return us and undeserving people to our original glory. Now, but for some of us, this only raises more questions. Where did this brokenness come from? Where did our glory go? And why did someone have to die? I think the best way to answer this question, these questions is to take a look back to the very beginning of creation, to what I think is the most important verse in the Bible. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. God is first. There's nothing before him, nothing with him, nothing around him or influencing him. He is before there was. And so when God creates, he does so as supreme being. When you exist outside of time, space, and matter and create something out of nothing, you get to set the rules. But because we didn't, he makes the rules, draws the boundaries, and sets the standards. And he has every right to, as there is no one to please but himself. And so as we continue reading, we read about the creation of the world, the stars, the plants, and animals, and we see that it was all good. But we see a shift in tone when he makes his most treasured creation, his very good creation, man and woman. God puts an interesting twist to this creation. He gives us his own image, meaning we are capable of love, which means we are capable of choosing where and with whom we find our rest and security. I think it's important to realize that without this capability of love, we would have been incapable of choice. And can you have love without choice? All you'd be left with would be a soulless robot incapable of choosing, and there's no glory in that kind of living. This is why it's so important to understand the magnitude of our ability to choose. Because without it, we're incapable of reciprocating the love God had for us when he created us. And we all know what happens next in the story. Man and woman eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And when they made this choice, they were essentially saying, I don't believe God has what's best for me in mine. I know what's best for me 
And so I'll take matters into my own hand. And when man and women made this choice, the option to choose wrong entered the world. And because we deliberately disobeyed a command from Creator God, He cursed us as a result. And since then, we've been suffering the consequences of that prideful choice. I know what's best for me. We know experience, we now experience the pain of a cursed world and the separation from our Creator. We suffer the results of our sin. I think it would be a bit of an understatement to say that the idea of sin is a little controversial to some, both outside and inside the church. But I think it's easy to confuse what sin really is. There's a quote by Tony Reinke that describes what sin is to God and why it's so much more than just doing bad things. He says, sin is not merely wrongdoing. It is essentially wrong adoring. Sin is the fastening of our hearts on any good treasure or security in life that replaces the good treasure and security of God. You see, when God made us, he made us in a way that we would find our everything, our peace, our love, our joy, and hope in his goods and his treasures and his security. God made us this way on purpose because he wanted us, his creation, to, be t- to depend on him, the creator. Remember, he had the right to make us this way. And because of this design, nothing else but communion with him will completely satisfy. Not money, fame, sex, power. And even some religions state that it's because of our comforts that we are imperfect. So they give up all of life's pleasures and comforts. But that still doesn't bring us peace. And pardon the cliche, but I think God made us with a Jesus-shaped hole in our heart. And ever since our sin of pride was committed in the garden, we've been trying to cram a square peg in a round hole in an attempt to feel whole again. So God, who foresaw all of this, stepped into his creation story and chose a people that he would work his ultimate restorative power through. He made a covenant, a promise with the Israelites that the covenant, and that covenant said that he would bring peace in return all he wanted was a people that trusted in him and him alone. And so as we read through the Old Testament, we see that the Israelites, with time, slowly got the hang of it. They got off to a bit of a rocky start, but eventually they fixed their broken ways and became a good people and never strayed. Right? No, that's very wrong. Generation after generation after generation chose their own good treasures and securities again and again and again. An interesting God never quit trying to draw close. God chose them and set them apart to prove to them and to us that we couldn't do it on our own. So even looking to humanity outside of biblical times, in the here and now, we became enlightened, we declared God dead, made democracy, electricity, computers, TikTok, a little controversial, and during this time we became really good at killing the baddies. And as a result, this past century has been one of the most violent if not the most violent centuries ever. Now over the past few decades, it's true that we have seen social progress and reducing crime in some places. Better living conditions, longer lives, but our consumption is increasing. Our consumptions of things like alcohol, anything from Amazon, TV shows, antidepressants, our anxieties are at an all-time high. We are unsettled. 
We do not have true peace. This motion of what we call progress isn't meaning. We seem to be on a merry-go-round, and no matter how colorful and creatively we paint the animals or how loudly we play the carnival music, we still end up right back where we started, with pain and confusion following us. Time and time again, we choose what we think is best, and it only ends in conflict and loss. We are a prideful, selfish, wicked people who are in desperate need of someone to restore what we are so desperately seeking. What we really need is our original peace and security and God restored. Remember, God, who is before there was, made us and told us that apart from him, we won't have rest. And he told us that we would only find our peace in him and him alone. And the Israelites and our own attempts to do this have ended poorly at best. Again, John 14, 27, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Humanity, meaning our lives in this broken world, is fatal. Our lives will be subject to heartache and loss. Our bodies will fail. When Christ entered this world, his plan wasn't to cure our humanity by giving us pleasure and power and opportunities in this world. He came to give us another choice to restore ourselves to our original state, which is peace and communion with God the Father. Because God created us with the capacity to love and choose, and so he came and gave us a better choice. Through Jesus, he is giving us our true peace through communion with our creator. And this peace and communion isn't just uh, for us in the floaty place that we call heaven, but in the here and now of this chaotic life. Jesus came and gave us the option to connect with a good and gracious king instead of living under the harsh rule of a broken world. God gave us a king to dethrone a worldly slave master whose desire for your soul was never good. Church, we need the peace of Jesus. We need it because without it, we will continue to run in circles, grasping at anything to obtain our validation and security. We've tried this for millennia, and it's gotten us nowhere. We need to focus our heart on the truth that Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection was the only way to bring us true, lasting validation and security. With time, the pull and distraction of this world and the work of the enemy will insidiously distort our truths and our opinions will become false. They'll become half-truths, leading us astray from God and King. We need to clean the lens through which we see the world from time to time. And that's what Advent's all about. It's observed every year so that we can together declare truth to ourselves and to each other that Christ has come and through his work on the cross and his resurrection and his victory over death, we have peace. He didn't enter the world to get us out of the sticky situations we find ourselves in, but to give us peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. And so whether you realize it or not, all of humanity's strivings for peace over your lifetime and the lifetime of our elders are motivated by a desire to return to our creator's embrace. The reality is that we are part of an unseen war And before we were saved, we were on the wrong side of that war. 
We were enemies of God, striving in vain to make sense of a forever broken world. Our lack of peace is because we are at odds with a righteous and holy creator, God. You see, being at odds with our creator is where our unsettledness comes from, even in times of worldly peace. This is why the Israelites, despite their knowledge of God and his presence literally right in front of them as a pillar of fire, and we, despite all of our modern advances, need a promised savior. We broke all of our promises time and time again, And despite our best efforts, we are no closer to getting it right. But there's hope. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We have a king who will never leave us. He has brought us into the fold of his protection and now we have access through the work of Jesus to a peace that we are accepted, that we are enough, that our glory and communion has been restored. Through Jesus, our slate has been wiped clean and our heads can hit the pillow every night without worry of where we stand. Even in the midst of peace, we see that the world will continue to have trials and tribulations. Our physical and emotional well-beings will be tested and refined, but our souls will forever rejoice. We are made whole again. Let not your hearts be troubled. Church, I don't have the wisdom or the means to fix all of your earthly troubles. But no matter how this life turns out, no matter how many wrong decisions, slip-ups, regrets, how shame follows you, indecisions, physical and emotional pain and trauma occurs, we rest easy in the peace granted us by the work of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 54.10 For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Bands, you can come back up. So as we move back into the regular chaos of the awakening Christmas season, I ask that you declare the truth of Jesus' perfect peace to your heart. And you'll need to do it daily. The world's troubles won't end, but the best thing is that our King and Savior have come and made possible to find favor with our Creator God. He has come to say, peace, child. I have done the work for you. Come rest in my work. Nothing else can do that. Not generation upon generation of men and women trying to build their own way to peace. And let's remember that we celebrate Christmas in order to remember the good gift from God of a true peace that the world and all its strivings could never give us. And if today you realize that you have never had this peace, let me invite you to receive this good and free gift. You don't have to be at odds with the creator. You don't have to strive towards your own perfections. God loves you and sent his son because of your sin and wrong adoring to return us to our intended glory. He came so that you wouldn't have to live with an unknown purpose. He can't, I cannot fix all of your 
earthly problems, but what I can do is lead you into the everlasting arms of a good, good father. I'm here to declare that you can be set free and have assurance that you are accepted by our creator. So come talk with me or TJ or Garrett or pretty much anyone in this room. They would love to speak with you about that. And we would love to live in that victory and assurance of peace together. And as we draw to a close, I want to uh, draw us close to Jesus by partaking in communion. You don't have to be a member at this church, but all that we ask is that your faith be in Jesus Christ. The grape juice doesn't bring salvation, and the styrofoam cracker certainly does not bring salvation. The reason we come to the table and read these verses and eat these symbols is to remember what Christ did for us on the cross. 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26 For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as we sing these last few songs, I pray that the Holy Spirit would minister to your hearts and remind you that Christ Jesus came, died, and rose again that we might find peace through his work. So take, eat, and remember where our peace came from and what it cost.